Welcome to Coos's Corner, a platform for passionate, unscripted discussions with my guests to entertain and inspire you. Let's get into this episode. This episode of Coos's Corner has been in the talks for quite a while. We've been talking about doing this since this past summer almost. And uh, today I'm joined by uh, my good friend, Milan. Howdy. Glad to have you here. Glad to be here. So uh, you're a man of many interests, and uh, I, I think the world should get to know you a little better. So I'll ask you some questions today, and we can go over some of the things that you really enjoy doing and uh, so just basically your overall interests. Those are factual-based comments. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, we'll start with what you're doing in school right now. You're a guy with a wide range of interests, many different things. Why did you choose to go into architectural engineering? So at the time, uh, I knew that my main goal um, was to um, get a degree in university because I feel like my brain right now is at its peak uh, performance. So I said, hey, uh, four years in one life is not a lot, so let's get a degree that counts. And uh, I had a lot of options uh, going into school. But I knew engineering was one of uh, the best challenges I can get intellectually. And also um, the, the, the domain that we're in, the uh, saving the planet uh, movement that we're, we're in. Um, because my program, the long name for it is Architectural Conservation and Sustainability Engineering. And that, um, that program covers not only the restoration and the retrofitting of heritage buildings, but also um, creating green buildings, net positive or net positive energy um, buildings that that give power back to the grid and doesn't take any from it. So uh, some very cool stuff, and especially yeah. like you said, with this time, we are in that save the planet mode. Um, I was watching the documentary this morning by Leonardo DiCaprio. It's called Before the Flood. Classic. Yeah, exactly. Classic climate change documentary. But one of the things that it did go over is like, if we continue on our path, what will happen? And some of the stuff is, is pretty astonishing. Like some of our weather patterns are going to be very, very severe. Um, the rising sea levels is also another huge thing. Huge thing. Um, but it did also talk about green buildings. So yeah. like, for example, in Sweden, it's the first fossil fuel free country. And a lot of their infrastructures to do with solar panels and wind farms and all that stuff mm -hmm. so when you're moving towards a society that doesn't use any more fossil fuels or any uh, greenhouse gas uh, emitters um, you're going to look at buildings that 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 get their heat from the ground and they get their electricity from the sun and usually that combo is the winning combo um in most cases, in most buildings, especially in Sweden, Denmark, Finland, um, even in the Netherlands as well, they're starting to make buildings that are uh, unique to their environment, topography, and um, solar exposure. So they're going to get different um, different type of efficiencies for for their solar panels, and um, and with that, they're they're going to get their you know they're going to be successful at replacing uh, fossil fuels. And uh, me, my job, um, especially relating to climate change, is to um, 
make a, a building ultra efficient because you can have an efficient building. Efficient building doesn't mean that it's giving back. Ultra efficient means that it it conserves energy so well that it's even giving back to the grid. And I think that is our goal as a society. Now, we're not only aiming to stop um, stop using energy from, you know, charcoal or um, uh, all other, you know... Energy sources. Energy sources that, that you know consider burning um you know burning something and, and emitting greenhouse gases to replace that uh it would be um what were we talking about with the uh, giving back to yes uh, yeah yeah but yeah, yeah. I, I think I, i'm going around there saying the same thing so i i don't know if your classes have talked about this is there like have they told you a statistic on how many buildings are actually ultra um efficient not a percentage per se uh because a lot of them are not accredited because i haven't even heard about that to be honest like i didn't oh, even geez, know really? that some buildings give back to the grid uh-huh like so, i thought uh, that like there would just be efficient buildings where that like can sustain themselves but i haven't heard of buildings that that give back, give back. yeah and uh, even the the new kind of challenge that's what they call themselves the living building challenge that for me is my biggest source of inspiration they're a, um, they're basically a, um, like a, how do you call it, uh, a, um, I want to say grading system, but that's not the name. Uh, rating? Rating system. They're a rating system or a rating uh, company that pushes the buildings to be part of the environment. Not only, you know, they're not, you know, destroying the environment, they're helping it and they're be, they're they're fluid. They're like they're, they're almost part of the ecosystem. Right. So they're gonna get their water from a from an already running source and they're gonna feed the same amount of water back. So basically they're they're basically invisible as um, on a carbon footprint standpoint. So when you look at it, cool. even though they're using even concrete for the structural uh, elements or steel or uh, light frame wood doesn't matter what they use, um, the building, if they do um, comply to the imperatives of the Living Building Challenge, will be completely transparent uh, to, to any ecosystem, uh, any ecosystem uh, on the planet when you think about it. And um, their imperatives are very good, and I feel like uh, the more rating systems we have, uh, the more our building codes are going to change, and it's going to be the law to be net positive, be net zero and uh, be regenerative. Um, so give back, not only, you know, take. Out of all the classes that you've taken at uh, Carleton so far in the year and a half, which mm-hmm. one has been your favorite? Um, by, by far, um, it was, again, those involving climate change, like every single piece of information I uh, regurgitated uh, two seconds ago was from this class called Architecture in the Environment. And, um, and the prof really did a good job at, at you know, underlining the, the, the vital points in what architecture needs to be tomorrow. And, and how you guys can actually make an influence. Yeah. And it's basically saying, you know what, if you go by these three, you know, these three uh, themes, um, your building is going to become, you know, a leader in the uh, sustainability world. And that's what you want to be. You want to be the leading, the most efficient, the most productive um, 
building or you know construction that in you know in, in in your area because it's very highly competitive obviously people say people a lot of a lot of people say that it's it's a it's a very uh, lucrative business the the green um the green uh, washing they call it but us it's not just being green it's proving it through rating systems it's it's for fa- there's facts it's we are using zero coal energy we're using zero um you know uh natural gases so we we're, we're using no greenhouse gas emitters and and look at our performance and l- look at another building that's been there since like post war and um is completely you know inefficient right you can't have those buildings for sure right so when you compare it then you realize that those buildings even though they're cheaper it's cheaper to live there cuz energy is cheaper to to feed it in the long run it in might the, not in the, be. in the long run it's it's selfish to, to to every person living in that building to to, to be there i actually I, that's a bit extreme but i mean when no, you think about it for sure we think about it if they're not making that move if they're not going towards a more sustainable uh more durable future then uh, you know what i mean it's not it's, worth it. It's a lot. It's a lost cause for, um, you know, for society, especially us being close to uh, to water uh, water sources, because um, you know the river is going to be flooded, uh, lakes are going to get larger, um, and you know continents will you know be islands will be up. covered yeah. in water. Mm-hmm. So like Miami and all that being, might not be there. Yeah, being fourteen feet underwater, potentially it's kind of crazy. I think a lot of people understand that climate change is a thing, but they don't understand how severe of a problem it is right now. Yeah. Like we're talking some serious issues can be affecting us really soon. Yeah, and even very locally. Uh us in Ottawa, even though we're we're in a valley, we never really got any tornado, you know. No, I've never any none of that you know no um no extreme weather i know it got really cold or maybe it snows a lot but that's that's just canada for you yeah that's just and that's not extreme weather patterns having a tornado in ottawa um this year really uh really hits you know really hits deep because you're like hey this hasn't happened before shit you know what i mean like yeah I mean, we've been kind of you know we've been studying it but then now it's coming at our door and even though it's not necessarily our fault um that we're polluting this one. We're not the biggest polluter, um, maybe per capita, um, but globally, you know, yeah. globally, we're not the biggest polluters, but per capita, yes. But, um, but we don't, we don't put as, as much, um, CO2 equivalents in the atmosphere as let's say China. Mm-hmm. Right. And then we're, we're getting that collateral effect. But that's what it takes, I think, for people to actually realize the problem. They need it to hit home, right? Yeah. They need yeah. to see the effects themselves. If you hear a story about Chinese people wearing face masks to not breathe in the dirty air, mm-hmm. it's like, ah, oh, like I've never had to deal with that. Like, I've never seen that right. in person. Like, it, it doesn't hit you the same way as seeing a tornado blow down some of the houses in your community. Me, the craziest thing is I, it was on the street, on the, 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 the next big intersection uh, next to my house. So it went all the way through Green Bank, and I live quite close to that area. And um, did, did it pretty much go through the Green Belt, like with where the farms green, are and all that green stuff? Bank, I'm not sure about the Green Belt, maybe. But yeah, but green, green, on bank. green Bank, the street, um, 
lampposts were down, uh, trees were down, some houses were... Uh, My house didn't have power for two or three days, I think. Yeah, yeah, me it was pretty bad. Uh, I didn't have power. I lived at Nick's place uh, almost. I always went to his place because I had to charge stuff. and Yeah. It was horrible. It was horrible. Go- going back in your house and it's not heated or anything, and you're like, ah, you know what I mean? Like, what do we do to deserve this? But at the same time, we're like, hey, it pushes us, you know, to you know, hit the books a bit harder and... Try and make an influence. Yeah. And because, try and make a change. Yeah. The more you're informed, uh, the more you're aware of the problems we have, the, the better you'll be able to, to gauge a bit. To solve uh, them. To, to solve them, yeah. So that's what's, that's the biggest. Uh, Sticking with uh, like the environment and ecosystems. Yes. We'll move on to another interest of yours. Ornithology, is that correct? Ornithology, yes. The, the study of birds. Um, I was absolutely mind blown when I heard that you're a, a fan of ornithology. Uh, that I think the what, how I got into ornithology is because my grandfather he was a big uh, he was a bird observer, uh, and he um, he also had a, a very good uh, very good whistle, so he can attract a lot of species. Um, he was in the Frontenac Park area, and um, the variety of species, uh, especially. Uh, during the summer is very beautiful and um, you can see a lot of um, a lot of southern birds coming into Ottawa and the Ottawa region because of the change of climate change it, it is bad but it did bring Ottawa some cardinals so now we have cardinals which are, are more southern bird and, true eh? and, I've been and they're, seeing... they're beautiful birds and if you do learn how to use our call which is um, I think I'm, I'm going to do it right now and do it right now sure Something like that. Um, <laughs> That's impressive. You get a bit bold. That was good. Something like that. Something like that. I, I, I'm getting better. It's just, uh, yeah. My lips are kind of dry. But um, calling them and then seeing maybe a male pop up and then a female come in um, is very nice. Uh, I, myself, were, was living in the auto region during the summer and I had a cardinal couple that had... Um, had little uh, had little babies in uh, the cedar right next to my house, and uh, it was a good time because um, I could I could call them over anytime, and um, sometimes they would get offended, so they would try to attack me because <laughs> I was getting a bit too close to the nest. But it was it was a great experience to um, to really be there firsthand to see the the feeding process, and um, also their their migration steps uh, because they didn't stay always. Um, in, in that one tree. Earlier, we were talking about a book that you read. Yes. On, bu- on birds, sorry. Um, if you want to just explain what that book is and how yes. it... Yes. Um, because you said it was a big reason for you getting into Yeah, so I, I'm, not, I'm, um, I'm a enormous James Bond fan. Uh, the books and the movies. Uh, for me, uh, James Bond has... Always, he, he, he was always in my life somehow, and I always idolized him as, you know, the... the the perfect man and uh, somebody you want to you know live up to be uh, in, in in acting as well um, being able to acquire that role for me would be the, the greatest you know success and his name was given by the author Ian Fleming and Ian Fleming um, got the name from an ornithologist called James Bond that studied um, I think it was Carib- Caribbean uh, yeah. Korean birds I thought it was from, it was the West Indies uh, species. Same area. 
The same, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess the same area. I don't know too much about geogra- uh, ge- geography, but uh, James Bond, the name comes from an ornithologist. Wow, you know what I mean? It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. It's and pretty I cool. bet you not many people knew that. No, but uh, now, now they do. Now they do. Now they now do. They do. Now the listeners and, uh, of Coos's Corner will know. We'll know that James Bond is originally from the ornithologist James Bond, and uh, Ian Fleming thought it, that name was such a such a uh, how can you say a rebellious, a very manly name, um, you know, a very strong, a very strong yeah. man, adventurous, adventurous, yeah, an outdoorsman, you know, James Bond. Another thing I recently learned about you is that you love to draw designs yes. of shoes and yes. just any art. Any art, but more specifically, um, shoe designing. Uh, for me, this was a thing uh, that kind of popped up early in my first year of uh, university, and um, I watched a documentary on on design, because uh, I, I was, you know, my program architecture, you do need to do a fair share of design, and um, I kind of watched an episode because I thought there was going to be some architecture in there, and then there was uh, Tinker Hatfield. Uh, showed up and there was a full episode on how he started the Air Jordan line and I saw him draw and sketch and I said man do you I maybe I can create a shoe that I would want to wear you know what I mean like I, I, I'm a big fan of funky shoes I've always had very weird looking shoes like you know fluorescent yellow um, shoes with no laces uh, you know all sorts like the uh, Nike sock darts for me those the greatest um like, what are the greatest shoes I've ever worn? You know what I mean? So, I'd describe your fashion as uh, very unique, but yes. still very stylish. It's un, like, it's it's very you. Okay, like, it, okay. it represents you a lot. Like, you don't, Interesting. Yeah. You don't go by the grain. You yeah. you, you just do what you like, and uh, it's, it's cool. It's good to hear. Because, yeah, some days uh, I'm going to, you know, hit the nut around the head, going to get a very nice outfit, and uh, you can usually know that your outfit is nice when uh the girls are quite nice to you in the clubs but then <laughs> but then when you wear something kind of whack you know and then they don't want to talk to you like okay you know better better luck next time yeah exactly. pick it up change change your clothes and then uh, get it back in the game yeah but with your art what type of art do you like to do like other uh, than the, the shoe designing usually it's um it's a pastel on canvas uh usually what i like to, to draw with because it's very solid very bold colors um, I used to, um, paint acrylic and, uh, usually it's just abstract art that I do, uh, pieces on, um, on a bit on the, um, the technology era. So a lot of, um, a lot of space, um, a lot of mechanical objects I used to draw. And that's where I hinted that I want to go into engineering because, you know, very geometric shapes. I like to, I love, I love to draw them. And um, now when I'm designing shoes, it's kind of like, you know, a bit of fashion, but also you, you kind of, you know, you kind of create an aesthetic. And uh, there's nothing quite aesthetic as the Nike swoosh. And uh, all my shoes are Nike just because the swoosh just seals the deal. It doesn't matter what shoe, depends on, you know, the sole might be kind of whack or... I don't know, the, the, the tongue might be too big, but then I put a swoosh on there and then, it, you know, somebody's like, I'm, I want to wear that. You know what I mean? You give your shoes names as well, eh? Yes, yeah. So uh, I think I showed you one one of my pieces. It was the, the only colored shoe I drew. And um, it was a basketball shoe with the pump. 
um, action to tighten up the uh, the ankles, and it was the Aztec. Uh, so basically, e either I find a um, name that you know revolves around its style, or usually I name them after who I'm beside. So if I'm beside in a lecture, uh, I have some Air Tommies, some Air Coopers, I have some Air Nicks, uh, Air CBs as well. Uh, I have some uh, recently. I've had some uh, Air Drews. Uh, it was a he was a server at Jack Jack Astros uh, <laughs> downtown Toronto, and I, I gave him the marketing rights for. I did a sketch because their um, their tables is brown paper and, and they give you know crayons yeah, yeah. to draw on. So I, I did him. A, I did a shoe and uh, took a few pics, and uh, it was quite quite a nice shoe and he, he liked it. So uh, it's for me. It's just a quick quick thing. I I don't spend more than ten minutes doing a shoe. And usually uh, people are quite satisfied with uh, what they have, but it's it's something just supernatural. Uh, there's like there's no real I don't know real skill to it. Mm -hmm. um, it's just drawing a soul, um, drawing the uppers, and then you know, adding some sparkle to it. Yeah. You're also a big music guy. This past summer, uh, we we got into some exchanges with songs for mm -hmm. for music. Some that stick Hall out. Hall of Notes. Hall of Notes. Hall of Notes. Philly Forget Me Not. I remember showing wow. you that song. What a song. Yeah. And, what a song, yeah. And then, you know, you showed me Aloe Black. Hey, you, you, that's actually crazy. I didn't, I didn't so know whenever that. I listen to Hall of Notes yeah. and Aloe Black, I think of Perfect. But you swimming I, in my backyard. Because <laughs> me, when I, I think of Hall of Notes, I think of, I think of you now. I yeah. Think of, I was like, yo, Marcus, of course. Like, um... There's so many good songs, and especially the '80s. Not a lot of people, uh, you know, know some of the, you know, the, the, the class. You know, the the good music. You the know, classics. You, you have you have the top of the chart ones, but they're never, you know, even today. You know, if you have a song that's number one in the charts, uh, it might not be number one in your heart. You know yeah. I mean? So us discovering, um, you know, the the performers, you know, the artists behind some of the greatest hits, and then finding their other work. For for me, that was uh, quite. Um, revelating uh, that you, you knew how to do that especially I didn't even know about their new album and I don't even know how I found the song is Philly Forget Me Not that was yeah, the one yeah. that we really liked mm -hmm. I don't even know how I got it but it's interesting how music can do that to you it can make you think of certain situations or certain people yeah. like there's a couple songs like for example Frank Ocean the song yeah. Lost Yes. I automatically think of my my dorm room Last year in residence. Jeez. Like, and then there's other songs that, you know, like wherever you listen to it for the first time, that's what you think of. Yeah. Sometimes I listen to music and I'm like, I'm like, damn, I was in a shitty situation last time I heard this one. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't know what, exactly what you did, but you know, you know that like, ah, oh, man, it's giving me a weird feeling. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's music playing during, um, my lifeguarding, uh, trials there. And, uh, and I can't listen to it anymore because I was waiting for my results and uh, I was kind of scared because I was called first and usually when you're called first it's kind of like okay like yeah you're not gonna make it you know oh okay so I was called first and this song was playing and it was uh it was an Arctic Monkeys song uh, and every time I listen to it I'm like I feel the same stress as that day waiting to get my certificate and I got in and um, they're like yeah um you got it. Uh, we just spoke to your father. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, your father came in and he said that you guys were, uh, you guys have to hurry up. You guys have to leave. Something <laughs> like that. Cause it took too, too long. And that's why I went first. Cause, uh, my, apparently my dad rushed it. That's funny. 
So uh, it was pretty. Uh, I've got a good story. So the other day I was talking to my friend, like some other guys, about this. Um, in grade eight, mm-hmm. they had this basketball tournament. It's called Kids Helping Kids. It's a fundraiser. It's a three on three basketball tournament at my middle school. Word. And uh, I was on a team with some other guys, and we. We, we thought we were pretty good, and we, yeah. we kind of knew. We made our team so we would win. Like, we, we picked all the best players. Yeah. <laughs> we stacked our team, which wasn't too fair for the rest of the teams. But you know what? We're competitive guys. We wanted to win. And in the final match, the final game, everyone was watching our game. Like, the yeah. whole crowd just watching our game. Usually yeah. there's multiple games going on at different nets, but this was just one game, everyone watching. Jeez. And the pump up song right before we played was a Fallout Boy song. Jeez. My song knows what you did in dark. I don't know. Okay, yeah, I know, I know that song, of course. Yeah. So I told my friends, I was like, "Yeah, that was like the biggest pump up song for me in grade yeah. eight. And they're like, "Oh, what? Like by Fallout Boy? Like what are you talking about?" But it, yeah. I'll always remember that basketball tournament. It's a hype song. When I hear that song. It's a hype song. Yeah. What uh? What type of music are you listening to these days? You're you're um, always listening to some interesting stuff. Yeah, I discovered um, a a genre that that I think hip hop might evolve like evolve to, but uh, for now uh, it's called neo funk, and it's a uh, it's kind of like a a new uh, take on seventies uh, and sixties uh, funk and that era, uh, like the Commodores and uh, the uh, Island Island Brothers and all that all that that funk, um, and I'm brought into um, you're kind of brought into a modern, uh, even even a little bit more street uh, kind of approach to uh, to funk. So it, it still has that soul, still has um, the catchy beats, but it could have a uh, some 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 neg- negative themes, you know, um, like the ghetto uh, by the Jets. It's for, for me, is a big a big neo funk uh, classic. Uh, D'Angelo with um, with Back to the Future. And uh, so much, actually, the Black Messiah album for me was revolutionary when it came to uh, neo funk, because it's um, it's brand new, yet it, it's that same you know that same taste, the, the same feeling uh, as a as a classic funk song from you know the seventies, mm-hmm. yeah. So for me, that that's like the the genre I'm trying to discover and trying to really uh, exploit. Uh, because I, I do use a lot of music to, to sample to make uh, beats with uh, my good friend Nick there so um, so usually I'll, I'm always on the lookout for uh, for catchy tunes and uh, catchy vibes and funk is always a place to go when yeah you, when you're looking for uh, you know that that jumpiness you're looking for that bump that you know what makes you move what what initiates that you know that first step into the the samba of your life you know mm-hmm. and, uh, that whole chiki uh, chiki chaka, you know, whack. Are you uh, watching any interesting TV shows or movies um, recently? I've been uh, I've been really re- researching um, on the James Bond actors and their roles they took before uh, starting to be James Bond. Uh, Pierce Brosnan, uh, as a young actor, played the role of Remington Steele uh, in a uh, TV show. I don't remember what production company uh he was affiliated with but it he's basically a young james bond too young to, to become uh the man himself uh, on the big screen but he was young enough to you know to show his uh, his abilities as a uh, 
a master manipulator and um and um you know secret agent you know that yeah. everybody knows and for me yet again i have to know you know every single detail of, of how you know people got to play that role that, that iconic role and recently it's been remington steel uh very cliche sitcom but uh with uh, with pierce brosnan which is he's pure james bond yeah right and uh if ever i get the chance to um to to even audition or play for the role i would take his approach 100 of the time he's uh he is for me the james bond so you had an acting background in high school yes what uh what roles did you play so me in high school, I did a lot of comedy. Uh, there was not a lot of dramatic uh, pieces that we could use. Uh, the only dramatic pieces were French from Molière and stuff like that. Because you went to an all-French school, all right? All-French school, yeah. yeah. And, um, and usually, Dans Les Miserables. Les Miserables, ouais. Uh, How's that French accent for you? Uh, ouais, les Miserables. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, indeed, indeed, at that school, uh, acting was uh, Miserable, uh, unfortunately. But... Uh, the comedy, the improv um, aspect of it was really, really bumping. So I joined the improv team. And uh, in Ottawa, at Saint-Mergenet, uh, improv is, a, is part of their culture. And uh, I got a placement in the uh, senior team. And that you know competes against every other school in Ontario. And uh, we were, I was lucky enough to make it to the finals. Um, and I feel like I contributed... Um, you know, a decent amount to that win, and uh, I feel improv I, is a great skill. I saw an improv show in Boston; it was mm-hmm. hilarious. And yeah. like the people that are doing that, you, like take some real talent. Yeah, and and it, and it's all practice because now if I would, you know, if you ask me to improv, uh, it might not be as funny as me when I'm constantly looking for the next, you know, punchline. Yeah, the next joke. The next joke, um, and how to use the first five seconds of of a play or you know or just a theme that's given and how to convert that in a story and usually um you find the punchline when you act out a story and um that's a lot of things i've learned in the acting world is that um when improv you know comes hand comes in handy it's when um there's no more script or there's no script right to express a certain theme express a situation and uh, most times that might be the case where uh, there's just not enough words to explain really uh, you know that the emotion in, in the scene or uh, in the skit and uh, improv it's just purely there's there's no words which is for me is advantageous to make comedy yeah it is really because you know it becomes less you know less predictable at my school we had a very good improv team as well and the theater scene at my high school is incredible like our nice. our drama teachers did a great job and but I was never a part of it and that's kind of one of my regrets for high school yeah like in grade 12 there was a student run production and they were doing the play Shrek yeah and in that summer the summer before grade 12 the the student that was directing the play was recruiting me hard she wanted me to be Lord Farquaad Oh no! Yeah, that's the best role you can have in in, in that movie. The, the, yes, in that play, in and that I play. passed it up. I you, passed it up. To who? To whom? This one girl. They had a girl play it. They had a girl play Farquaad. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, yeah, uh, that would work. That would work. Yeah. yeah. But it, it's one of my biggest regrets because man, what what role is better suited for me as well? Like, I think that 
That'd be a good one. Being a short yeah. brunette dude. You know, like, I've always wanted to be a bit of a villain, but, like, he's not that much of a villain. Like, yeah, no, but uh, having the uh, the Edna mode uh, haircut there on you would be quite funny. But, yeah. And having those long johns, those tights there like, on you. Oh, my God, that would have been, been quite a quite It would have been hilarious. The last big role, though, I had was in grade three. Okay. It was back in when I was living in England. I was the lead star. It's Macbeth. Macbeth. Yeah, my best friend was... Uh, in, in, in what grade? Grade three. It was a... It, Cleaner version. Of oh, okay, a cleaner version. Because yeah. I was say that's that's quite uh, gruesome. Jeez, yeah. But uh, Big Beth, Macbeth. Um, what is it? His best friend kills him. Dad, uh, well, no, okay, I don't really remember, but I just remember a lot of people dying. That was my favorite part when I had to do my death on stage. I remember yeah. practicing at at home, like yeah. asking my parents, "Which death is better? Should I do this or should I do that?" So mm-hmm. it was pretty funny. But the, yeah, the the thing is that I. Um, like I never realized that that a lot of people, you know, uh, have the potential to act, but they, they don't really, you know, just don't want to put the effort. Mm-hmm. Marcus, you know, maybe you think you underdeveloped that side, but you know, maybe in the future you'll you'll have a chance to. Yeah, who knows? With that a bit more, a lot of people like for me, I I've always been scared that everybody knew how to act, and a lot of people said no, not everybody knows how to act, and uh, for me, uh, I I'm always you know a competitive person. So I said, okay, you know, I don't want too many people to know how to act because, you know, I want to be the only actor, you know, out there. Yeah. I really want my shot. And uh, turns out there's a, a lot of people that um, they're not that hungry. You know what I mean? They, they don't want they don't want that, uh, For sure. that job, you know, as, as bad as other people. And I know that after my degree, uh, I'm going to do uh, a whole lot of acting. Great money as well. <laughs> but... That that as well. That as well. That, that comes. Yeah, that comes with uh, with uh, with talent. We'll see if. Uh, One thing your improv must have really helped with is your stand up comedy that you've done in the yes. past. Yes. You haven't done it for a while though, right? I haven't done it for a while, but I am thinking about restarting there because I think there's. One of our friends downstairs. Yeah. That himself, he he does some stand up. Andrew Wiley, the guy I did a podcast with two weeks po- ago. Two weeks ago. Well. Anyways, he inspired me to, to start writing again. And it's and now in English. Because in I, English? I wrote my stand-ups in French, and usually that's the comedy I, I stick to. But now I, I really want to get in the, in the English comedy. Uh, so the comedy is different? Uh, uh, super different. Yeah. Absolutely different. Yeah, yeah. And it might work. It might work. My, my little French, you know, humor yeah. mixed with a bit of English humor might work. Probably will. We'll see. So did you ever live in France? Yes. Yeah. From what ages? Uh, I lived there uh, in first grade and up until uh, the fifth grade. So, yeah, you're... I was there pretty much all. And I actually started acting in France. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, as a kid, um, as a kid, improv wasn't really available all that much. Um, but then when the I hit the fifth grade... Then what happened is that there was a super serious play. It was like a take on, you know, uh, the the Little Red Riding Hood. Or yeah. It was a take on that. And uh, I was the, the big bad wolf that ate a grandma and then I have to put the wig on and then be yeah, a yeah. grandma. And it was a serious, it was kind of serious play. And no, like my, my professor at the time didn't really expect anybody to laugh at my lines. Because it was kind of serious. And then I just uh, adopted a, uh, a grandma voice. Like, I, I impersonated a grandma. Mm-hmm. You're talking like this, you know? And then, 
And then uh, everybody started laughing. And then uh, basically, I was just saying the lines normally. And at that point, I'm like, okay, either they don't take me seriously and I have to go into comedy, or um, I found a hidden talent. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and both ways, well, both ways, I guess I found a hidden talent. But I, I, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. For me, it was a big revelation uh, doing that play. And acting in general is always fun because it's so natural to me. You know, it's, it's something I don't have to really do some effort to. It's just yeah. something I want to do all the time. Like improv, I didn't want to go to school. I just wanted to go to the practices and, and, and just perform in front of the school. For the listeners out there, Milan has a great face for the big screen. <laughs> <laughs> you think so? I'll, Some I'll, would I'll, say I'll, he looks like a young Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll drop that, uh, I'll, I'll drop my IG there in the, oh, definitely I'll in the description there and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll catch some followers. Hopefully, um, some some followers for my for my uh, very young, uh, very new acting career. For sure, for sure. Mm-hmm. So uh, to end off the episode, anything you're, uh, any message you want to say to the Coosa's Corner listeners, or uh, anything coming up for you soon? Uh, you know what I mean. Um, if you're gonna chop some lettuce, you better have some salad, you know. And uh, <laughs> I've, I've I've always had you know a few light posts, you know, in the backyard. And sometimes all I have to do is be in the front yard. And um, the the big the big idea here is that the keyboard is never upside down when you type, and you just gotta you know put your head first and and say hey you know cowabunga. Thank you, Milan, for coming on to Cruise This Corner. <laughs> That's a great way to end it. So. Uh, that's been an episode of Coos's Corner with Milan. Hope you enjoyed it, and uh, thanks again for listening.